you have your Bibles this morning, I want to open to Nehemiah chapter 3. We're going to continue there today. You know, Apollo 13 reminds us that it takes a team to have success. I mean, if you know the story, you know there were actually three levels of people involved in helping devise a contraption that would keep the air pure enough for the astronauts to survive until they get back to Earth. B.C. Forbes, the founder of Forbes magazine, once said, you spell success T-E-A-M-W-O-R-K. It's true in every area of life. I mean, show me a successful coach, I'll show you athletes who make him successful. And you show me a successful businessman, I'll show you successful executives and support staff that help make him successful. Even a lone, ra- lone ranger would have been unsuccessful without Tonto. See, there is a dream work to teamwork. And we see that here in Nehemiah chapter 3. At first glance, this chapter reads like a Hebrew telephone book with one Hebrew name after the other. But in reality, it's one of the most important chapters in this book because it shows the nuts and bolts of how leadership and fellowship form a partnership and get things done and are successful. In regards to Apollo 13 and the mission, it took three levels involvement in order to invent on the fly the air filter that kept the astronauts alive. It took leaders, managers, and workers. Leaders visualized what needed to be done. Managers verbalized what needed to be done. And workers actualized what needed to be done. All three levels were extremely important in getting this job done. Knowing how to do a job was the accomplishment of the worker. Making sure the work got done by the others is accomplishment of the manager. Inspiring others to do the right job the best way, that's the accomplishment of a leader. Now think about the task Nehemiah faced. People he never met and only knew him for a short time. Listened to his sales pitch, put down their plows, picked up their hammers, and went to work rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. Even though they had been told all their life, it could never be rebuilt. They did it. And you ask, how could he do it? <laughs> I read about a man in the military who had died, and some of his military buddies wanted to have part in the service. So they requested that the pastor lead them down to the casket, stand with them for a moment of remembrance, and then lead them out the side door. Well, the pastor did that, but unfortunately it turned into disaster because he picked the wrong door. And the result was they marched with military precision into a broom closet <laughs> in full view of all the mourners. And then they had to do an about face and get out of the church. See, that true story illustrates two things. First, if you're going to lead, you better make sure you know where you're going. And second, if you're going to follow, you better make sure you're following someone who knows where they're going. And both were true in the case of Nehemiah. This chapter shows us the dream work of teamwork. And we're going to learn how it takes leaders, managers, and workers doing what they can do and what no one else can do in order to be successful. See, success requires leaders who delegate. When we last left Nehemiah, sorry, in chapter 2, verse 18, it said, they replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. Chapter 3 picks up right here. Eliashib, the high priest, and his fellow priests went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate, 
They dedicated it and set its doors in place, building as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated, and as far as the Tower of Hananiah. You can hear it, right? The sawing of the wood, the making of the bricks, the hammering of the nails. All because of the leadership of this one man who said in chapter 2, verse 17, Come, let us rebuild the walls of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. I mean, without question, Nehemiah was the leader of this project. And you have to have leadership. If there's going to be success in any endeavor, someone must be in charge. There was an internal consultant for a major electronics corporation. He had an assignment at one of their major plants. They asked him to come in and analyze and solve problems in the engineering department. Well, after about a month, the plant manager came to him and he said, have you found out what is wrong with the engineering department? And the consultant didn't hesitate. He said, yes, and I'll tell you what's wrong. He said, I'll go up on the second floor where all of your engineers and draftsmen are working in their areas, and I'll shout one question. Who is in charge? And no one will look up. That's what's wrong with your engineering department. See, Nehemiah was definitely in charge. You can see his invisible hand all over this project. For example, 13 times in this chapter, the word section is used. We're told time after time how each group of people were working on a section of the wall. Nehemiah organized this project so the wall would be rebuilt section by section. We're told in three different times where people were working in front of their houses. In other words, Nehemiah didn't have them commuting from one end of Jerusalem to the other. No, in case of an attack, a man would be able to defend his family because he would be right there at his home. Furthermore, Nehemiah engaged by name over 70 people to do work on the wall. I mean, amazingly, you don't find Nehemiah's name in this chapter at all. He totally stepped out of the picture. See, if Nehemiah had said, I'm going to do this by myself, I'm going to mix the mortar, I'm going to make the bricks, I'm going to repair the gates, the work would have never gotten done. Or if the people would have said, no, Nehemiah, I want you to do this all by yourself. We put you in charge. You mix the mortar. You mix the bricks. You repair the gates. It would never have gotten done. See, he delegated work to others. And that's important. See, leaders do not work for others. They lead others to do the work. Delegation, it wasn't some invention by a Harvard MBA or a Fortune 500 executive. It was thought of by God. All the way back at the beginning of time. He created Adam and Eve and he delegated care for the garden to them. And that principle has some great importance for our church. See, if we are going to succeed in doing what God has called us to do, I have to give away the ministry of this church to you. I read about a congregation that had to hire a new minister and their longtime pastor retired. It didn't take the members of the church long to get annoyed with this new pastor because he started making all these changes in the order of worship and how different church affairs were handled. But they exploded when, the hire, when he hired a man to take care of the church grounds. So the finance committee came together and held a special meeting to talk about this with the pastor. And they said, we see you've hired a gardener. And the pastor said, that's right, and he's doing a great job. And he said, well, perhaps you aren't aware that our previous pastor took care of the grounds himself. And the pastor said, yes, I know. I called him. He doesn't want to do it anymore. 
See, leaders delegate what they don't need to do so they can do what they can do. What you delegate is just as important as whom you delegate it to. And there are two things that must be delegated. You delegate not only the responsibility to do the work, but the authority to carry it out. Winston Churchill addressed the House of Commons in World War II. He said, I am your servant. You have the right to dismiss me whenever you please. What you have no right to do is ask me to bear responsibility without the power of action. Nehemiah did both. Theodore Roosevelt once said, the best executive is the one who has sense enough to pick good men to do what he wants done and self-restraint enough to keep from meddling while they're doing it. Success requires leaders who delegate. Success also requires managers who administrate. I mean, if rebuilding the wall had been tackled all at once by one person, or if the entire group had worked only in one place at the wall at a time, it would have never gotten done. Now, Nehemiah took a two and a half mile wall in circumference and divided it into 41 separate sections. It was obviously, immediately, that Nehemiah could not be in 41 places at one time. So what did he do? Verse 9 says this, And next to them, Rephiah, the son of Hur, leader of half the district of Jerusalem, made repairs. Verse 12, And next to him was Shalom, the son of Halohesh, leader of half the district of Jerusalem. He and his daughters made repairs. And if you read on from verses 14 through 19, you'll see the words ruler, or in another version, leader, again and again and again. Nehemiah found other people who had the ability to manage and to lead others. And then we read this in verse 17 of chapter 3. Next to him, the repairs were made by the Levites under Rahim, son of Benai. Beside him, Hashbiah, ruler of the half-district of Kili, carried out repairs for his district. See, some people were under other people. There were tiers of leadership working on these walls. There were managers in administrative positions that Nehemiah had given two things, responsibility and authority. But there's one more thing that is important and even more scarce than that ability, and that is the ability to recognize ability. A good leader recognizes the need to find good managers. Thomas Jefferson once said, no duty the executive has to perform is so trying as to put the right man in the right place. I'm not quite sure what good management is, but I agree with Casey Stingle, former great manager in baseball. He said, the secret of good management is to keep the guys who hate you away from the guys who are still undecided. <laughs> Some truth in that. Well, let me tell you what a good manager is. And you find it throughout this chapter. Managers have to make sure that all the workers are going in the same direction. They have to support the leadership above them. They have to be a model of the mission statement and the purpose of the organization that they are leading. And if I'm being honest, we need many of you to step up and step out, to be willing to be leaders in this church. We need and we want to build this church on a foundation of leadership that will be examples and encouragers. We need you. 
You know, it's interesting. Whenever a big, gigantic ship, like an ocean liner, comes into a harbor, a tugboat will tow it in to make sure there's no damage to the ship. Now, the tugboat doesn't go 2,000 yards away, rev up its engines, and come in with full force and slam into the liner to try and get it to move. No, instead it just comes alongside, applying constant pressure over a period of time, and that way it gets the liner moving in the right direction. See, we need managers here at this church that will gently, lovingly, firmly help us keep the ship moving onward and upward and forward towards the glory of God. Now, if you read this chapter carefully, you'll notice Nehemiah put his best leaders on the gates of the city. Do you know why? Well, whenever people would go into the city, in order to get into the city where the walls were up, they had to go through the gates. And whenever people would walk through the gates, the first people they saw at work are the managers setting the example. Their sleeves rolled up doing the work. See, my prayer is that God sends us managers who would take their place on the wall, who would help us lead a mighty force to do God's work for God's glory in this community. And then success requires workers who facilitate. Leaders without managers are just dreamers. Managers without workers are daydreamers. I mean, the real heroes here in chapter 3 are the people barely mentioned. It's those who made the mortar and drove the nails and fastened the bolts and laid the brick. If you read through this chapter carefully, you'll find these phrases next to him or after him used over 20 times. People were working next to each other, hand in hand, arm in arm, helping rebuild the wall. But let me point out to you the saddest verse in this chapter. Verse 5. It said, The next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa, but their nobles would not put their shoulders to the work under their supervisors. See, there's always two groups of people. In the world and in church, there are workers and there are shirkers. There are people that want to share in the victory but not in the battle. Someone once said, the world is full of willing people. Some willing to work and others willing to let them. (laughs) But I want to take a lesson out of Nehemiah. See, Nehemiah ignored the people that didn't want to work and focused on those who did. And think about it. 3,000 years after this book was written, everybody else was honored for what they did. And these nobles are still remembered for what they didn't do. So let me ask you this question. When it comes to doing the work of the church, when it comes to getting involved somehow in the work of God through this ministry, have you taken your place on the wall? Are you involved in some area of ministry here? Are you part of the nobles who take your seat? Or part that don't put your shoulder to the work? There's one other worker I want to point out. Verse 20. Next to him, Baruch, son of Zabai, zealously repaired another section from the angle to the entrance of the house of Eliashib, the high priest. See, we're not only told what he did, repaired another section. We're told how he did it. He did it zealously. It meant to burn or to glow. It's the only adverb in this chapter. 
See, this was a man that not only did what he had to do, he did it the best way he possibly could. He did it with a great spirit. Because, you know, God not only sees what we do, he sees how we do it. You'll find the word repair 35 times in this chapter. It literally means to make strong and firm. And the reason these workers were so great is because they were doing the job right the first time and to the best of their abilities. And that's the key to rebuilding any wall, the key to winning any battle of any success. It's about teamwork. It takes a team to build a church. It means everybody finding their place in the wall and going to work. I mean, that's what happened here. Verses 2 through 7, you find that outsiders were working. Verse 1, the priests were working. Verse 12 through 19, leaders were working. In verse 12, the women were working. Verse 8 through 32, the craftsmen were working. In other words, everybody was working. There was a guy who was driving through Iowa and his car ended up in a ditch. And he called on this farmer for help and the farmer said, well, you're going to need a team of young stallions to pull this car out. He said, I only have one horse, Dusty. He's blind, he's old, but I'll bring him over and see what he can do. But don't expect much. Well, the farmer hitched old Dusty to the car, snapped a whip in the air and said, pull, Jimmy, pull. Dusty didn't move. And then he snapped the whip again. He said, pull, Sammy, pull. Dusty still didn't move. The farmer snapped the whip in the air again. He said, pull, Charlie, pull. Again, Dusty didn't move. And then he snapped the whip a fourth time and he said, pull, Dusty, pull. And with one mighty tug, Dusty yanked that car right out of the ditch. Well, the driver gratefully shook the farmer's hand. He said, thank you so much for freeing my car. But, but there's something I don't understand. Dusty never moved when you called him by those other names. Why didn't you just call him Dusty the first time? And the farmer said, well, I had to call the other three names first. You see, Dusty's blind. And if he thought he was doing all the work by himself, he never would have tried. See, I can't do all the work by myself. I, I can't even do all the work with just the administrative board's help. We need managers who will administrate. We need workers who will facilitate. We need every single person that is a part of this congregation sitting here today, listening online, everybody taking their part on the wall, giving your time, giving your talents, giving your treasures, giving your abilities, both with faithfulness and with your finances, doing a great work for the glory of God. That's the dream work of teamwork. So let me ask you, if you're not already, are you ready to get to work? Are you ready to surrender your time, your talents, your treasures, working for God? Come talk to me. Let me help you become a part of this great team here at KV. Because we all have to work together if we're going to accomplish anything. We can't do it without you. So come on board. Let's pray. God, we thank you. 
We thank you for the example and the encouragement of Nehemiah. We thank you for the example of all these men and women that were ready and willing to serve to accomplish great things for you. And Lord, I know that each and every one of us here have been given talents and gifts and abilities by you to serve you and your church. So Lord, help us to step up, to step out in faith, to serve you, to serve your church, to accomplish great things for your kingdom together. We thank you, Lord. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.